Hello and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. This is Jeff and I'm joined as always in this post-apocalyptic wasteland where podcasts still exist at least. <laughs> <Podcast> everything. <laughs> at least we got electricity, guys. Yeah. There's no infrastructure, there's no power, there's no but we've got this generator and we are running uh um Adobe Audition to try to record this podcast. And we the... still can't get into the top 10 yeah. on iTunes. <laughs> we still can't. So. We're the only ones left. <laughs> and I, I won't even listen to this. So. Uh, but I'm Jeff, and this is... Richard. And this is... Michael. And we are deliberating a topic that I chose this week for Mount Rushmore podcast, and that topic is the Mount Rushmore of the post-apocalypse and I chose it, and the reason I chose it is because as a kid, I was a big fan of storytelling that presented an upside-down version of the world that we know. And that's a component of having a lot of stories where uh, there's a status quo, and then that changes, and then the hero has to make do with what they are given. Uh, it is one of the most compelling genres of what was my favorite genre, and that was like science fiction. So uh, I also know that these guys... Um, are big kind of genre fans and big storytelling fans and fans fans. And I want to hear what they have to say about the Mount Rushmore of the post-apocalypse. Does anybody want to start? I'll start. Okay. Michael. Uh, bunkers. Bunkers. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Just in general, uh-huh. uh, I'm I, I'm kind of down with That sounds like an indie band that you bunkers. would like anyway. Like, oh, I love Bunkers. But except the U. Their second album, <laughs> Struggle. The U would be a V. <laughs> though like churches <laughs> yeah they um they wrote bunker's second album came out they were writing it on the road and it was like it was good it felt kind of like uh-huh. the first album but not as good as yeah and then they took a couple years off and then the oh, third yeah. album was just great yeah yeah underground revolution i think it was yeah. <laughs> uh, i love the idea that people are preparing for the apocalypse mm-hmm. and the post apocalypse oh, okay, and that okay. there are these things that exist out there there are people it's the ultimate in a crazy poor person, crazy rich person thing. The person that has decided that they are going to wait out the apocalypse in this tin can that they've buried underneath the ground. Mm -hmm. And you're either a super rich person to have a really nice one or a super poor person or like, and are just like, man, I'm going to hold up. Ride the shit out. (laughs) Radiation going on, but I got my Uh cans of like tuna tuna casserole and like soup. Do you think the rich people have better canned food, or is that like a great is that a Uh great equalizer? Do they all have like just Campbell's soup down there? I don't know. That's a very good question. You're just describing the sundries that would be in the bunker. You haven't gotten to weaponry, which is oh another aspect. Yeah, another aspect of it. I think of the Dana Gould was making a point about people who are stockpiling for the inevitable apocalypse as being really just kind of collecting stuff for the bullies who are going to come by door to door yeah. and kill you for what you have. So it's unless you're stockpiling guns too, uh, it might not you might might not be stuff you hold on to for very long. But when my uh, when I was a kid, my grandfather had in his Jeff basement coming up right here his stockpile his stockpile for the apocalypse. Uh, was something he began because he was in the other apocalypse, the Great Depression. So mm. to him, the whole world, it was an apocalypse. So the idea that uh, he was going to face the, the next apocalypse with 1,000 cans of baked beans <laughs> and 100 cases of Sprite, and that was going to get him through clearly because that's all he had. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I think... 
bunkers are very hopeful but very dire mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. I I bet there's like Bunker Life magazine. Oh, okay. Where you just subscribe to and you're just like yeah. Ooh, the new the new issue of Bunker Life is mm-hmm. out. Ooh, what's what's going on? What is the model what is the, what is the image that you have in your head for this bunker? Um is it what Kimmy Schmidt was living in? Is it a <laughs> is it a bunker done in the 50s for during the Cuban I Missile think, Crisis? <laughs> I think there's I think there's two things. I think that there are super high-tech, really nice bunkers out there. Yeah. But I think when you're preparing for, but those are like the people that are like they're just they just like the idea of it mm-hmm. i'm thinking of the really survivalist yeah bare minimum <laughs> american know. survival guide magazine by the way is that what it is mm-hmm. is that bunker basically it's the same thing mm-hmm. it's for it's all a, your doomsday preppers you're in a big steel can that's been buried 20 feet underground oh probably deeper okay and it's got a ladder yeah that goes down to it yeah and it's got some ventilation yeah, like what's that movie with Brendan Fraser and Christopher Walken where they blast from the past? Yeah. Where they... Oh, uh, I've never seen this. They they mistakenly think a nuclear war has started, so they raise Brendan Fraser from as like from as a kid all the way up to like mm. his 30s or whatever, mm-hmm. then, you know, the 90s. And then he decides to go out for food one day. No, that's Encino Man. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and they... Christopher they, Walken. And yeah. they're basically living in like a... Yeah. That's exactly what they're living The bomb shelter, in. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I... I think I could live in a bunker. Do you think so? I don't know. I like to watch the same things over and over. I don't uh-huh. need to see new stuff. I don't go, like to go out all that much. <laughs> I'd miss swimming. <laughs> I'd miss like going to like a pool every once in a while. What's in your bunker? It's a good question. Uh, episodes of the Outlaws, <laughs> as mentioned last week. Um, Star Wars. Yeah. That would be the real big bummer because you think that there wouldn't be a whole lot of communication with the outside world. Yeah. And if you decided to bury yourself in a bunker and there's a bunch of Star Wars movies coming out. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. God, that's like a, mm-hmm. that's a Sophie's choice. Mm-hmm. Do you like decide to stay on the surface and ride it out hoping that, because they're, you know, if the apocalypse comes, they're still putting out Star Wars. Movies. Oh, sure. Disney's, Disney's got some money to make off of this. Somehow. Well, you know, Walt has a bunker. Yeah. He is a the entire, the entire Walt is... Disney land is, a, yeah. is one yeah. giant bunker. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's under Utilidors underneath the first level. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff underground there. I think Hitler put a bad. Oh, yeah. He put a bad little uh, yeah. bunkers just in general. Yeah. If they called it a chalet or something like that, it would be different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ricky, what do you got? Okay, so my first choice is the uh, TV movie The Day After. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Which but, but, I forgot until I was doing the research. Like I hadn't seen it in a long time. Yeah. Based in your uh, neck oh, of the yeah, woods. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. I knew some kids who were in it and some teachers who were in it. And Never seen this. When when did this come out? 1983. And it's basically about a World War Three happening. And it was a... And, and, and more than anything else, it's really about the aftermath of the the nuclear explosion i think that that happens like in the first yeah i don't know 30 40 you know minutes of it the majority of the movie is is consists of what happens to the survivors essentially yeah people dying from radiation sickness and how awful that would be it's not exactly a wacky uh laugh a minute movie even (laughs) even though steve even though steve gutenberg is in it you would think yeah Maybe they would have the laughs going in the apocalypse. You would have thought that they maybe could have got Winslow Winslow also involved Uh to make some wacky uh, nuclear bomb related noises. (laughs) That's the guy I want in my bunker. 
Michael Winslow? Yeah, I'd like the guy that like I'm just walking towards like the the fridge or whatever, and it's just like, and you're like, oh my gosh, I have 30 years with this man underground when the radiation passes. <laughs> Can we agree that you don't do this, please? That would be so funny. <laughs> oh, and this movie and Jeff said. You'll you, since you're a little bit older, you'll remember the hysteria. Oh yeah, about this movie. It was because it was really the first movie that dealt with. And it was a TV movie. It was on ABC, and it had like a, a 46 rating and like a 62 percent share of the viewed, viewing audience. At the time, it was the seventh highest rated non-sports show ever. Um, Woof. and it was, I mean, it was nightmare-inducing as a kid. Because I remember they, they're like, if you're going to watch it with your kids, make sure you talk to them about it. Well, my parents didn't talk to me about it. They just let me watch it. And, you know, you got the, the nuclear explosion. You see people, like, you know, getting just obliterated. And But the worst part was actually what was happening. Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> yes, Steve Gutenberg trying to do it in a dramatic role. No, it, it was, was just, just seeing, like I said, the radiation sickness. And when, there's a kid that gets blinded because he happened to be looking where the bomb blast went off. And just all this stuff. And I was going back and looking at some of the, the news coverage of it. And you actually had conservatives that were basically, they shouldn't be showing this movie. They're basically, this basically Russian propaganda. Wow. Because we really need to be on the side of nuclear pro- proliferation. And this is the, one of those liberal, you know, commie no nukes sort of thing. And it's like, no, not so much. This is really just sort of what would happen if there was a nuclear war. So if it, I, I didn't... It's a bit more of a depressing take on the post-apocalypse rather than a fun, lighthearted one. Yeah, and and it was just interesting to me to, to see that was the divide between Democrats and Republicans in yeah, 1983 yeah, yeah. was whether or not a movie that showed how bad the nuclear, a nuclear war would be was actually a communist plot somehow. I didn't know that that was that kind of conversation around it. I think oh I, sure I I do remember kids. There was a kit, a teacher's guide that we discussed this film in school. It was how to talk to kids about the morning after. Uh, and later, when I went to co- school at University of Kansas, where this is supposedly filmed or centered around Lawrence, Kansas, there was right. still a lot of educational conversation around this film. And then. Like my teacher was burn victim number one, you know. Like, nice. <laughs> there was a burn victim uncredited was my college roommate, and then old Farmer Jackson was my my landlord. So I didn't really realize how many people I know who were in the cast. But the um, the conversation the the on IMDb they talk about how there wasn't something like nuclear winter. There were some very non realistic things that were uh, depicted in it. So it was still very fantastical. And, right. Jeez, uh, thanks, nuclear. Weapon. Almost like a one of those Jack Chick tracks, and it was kind of meant to scare the shit out of you. <laughs> sure, everyone involved seemed to be like be really like on the side of we are doing like this is an educational yeah. service that we're doing, and yeah, literally trying yeah. to scare you into to, into uh, being against nuclear weapons, which mm-hmm. seems like a weird thing to, that you have to do. That's that is a uh, that's a depressing job. Is the post apocalypse expert nuclear winter expert that just goes around saying how your movie is wrong oh yeah <laughs> like how much how much horrible research and stuff do you have yeah. to know like the knowledge that you have to know to be like to be yes actually 
All the oh, you mean that, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That just guy like, needs to that stop. Guy, yeah, that, that guy or girl that mm-hmm. is out there that is just the spoil sport of like, I'm just trying to tell a story about this stuff. And they're like, well, but the nuclear winter was not uh, <laughs> displayed properly. And actually, it would be uh, several hundred years before anyone yeah. would come out of there bunkers or whatever and it's just like oh well man. that guy's same probably also knows that you if you stab a guy he dies about 20 minutes later <laughs> you know in the hit him in an action movie or something yeah. yeah arnold can twist your head and you fall completely limp that uh, it wouldn't happen well it, it would if michael winslow made the <laughs> kind of noise <laughs> it did it, yeah. do you feel that this uh when you're talking about the right and the left and this as a discussion point surrounding that uh some of the genre of apocalypse feels inspired by religious apocalypse it oh sure i mean it, there are movies that are directly i would like book book of eli i think was yeah. one and yeah there are movies that are directly sort of mm-hmm. and that is ultimately and i think in literature that survives is the first place where like noah was preparing for an apocalypse so that the place this podcast is sounding like talk radio at 2 a.m <laughs> real quick here <laughs> that's so interesting you know it's funny i mean i None of my choices did I ever consider like the yeah. origins of it being a religious thing oh, yeah. that happens. For me, it was Mad Max. Like, I, don't yeah. know, I want to see yeah. Mad Max over and over again. People, people in chaps <laughs> running yeah. around in gyrocopters. Yeah. Okay, uh, Michael, what's your second? Uh, my second choice is the world of the Matrix. Oh wow, the Matrix is which you forget is is technically post apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so much of that movie is spent in the virtual reality world mm-hmm. and doing karate chops, you know, and backflips <laughs> and things. Uh, but that is, so th- it's funny cause the original movie was wonderful. Oh yeah. And then the other two movies was like this long nerdy sci-fi, how to explain the bits and pieces from yeah. the first two movies, even the, the third, the, animated, you ever see like the animatrix mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is like just more of a deviation on like, and ruminations of let's explain all of the things that happened to get to where we got yeah. to. And they're all great. Um, but what's really interesting is the concept that these humans are living in this post-apocalyptic world where they've nuked, <laughs> they've nuked the sky to black out the sun so that the robots they're in a war with can't have solar power, which makes them use humans as batteries as their power. Mm-hmm. And they're just these people that are grown in vats. And they're like, yeah, but we need to put them into like an AI world. And let's make it perfect. But people reject it when it's like it's it's a crate. All of the, the concept is crazy. But what people can accept is. I didn't know that they nuked the sky. Yeah. So they couldn't have solar power. <laughs> yeah. The humans were like losing this war to the robots. Uh-huh. So they basically nuke the sky so that the sky would be permanently blacked out yeah. so the robots wouldn't have solar power. So the robots are like, well, if you guys, we're going to turn you into batteries. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. But anyway, so the world that's this future is, you know, several hundred years in the future. And it's a world that the people, once they're kind of unplugged from the matrix, accept. Mm-hmm. They could accept the post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. They couldn't accept the one that the, like the, AI universe that the robots created for him that was perfect. Mm-hmm. That was like too crazy for him. But I love the idea that humans can accept when it sucks as yeah. hell, but when it's like really, really wonderful, they're like, no, I know for sure this is wrong. This is wrong. I thought it was the imp. I thought there was the squeaky clean, perfect world created in AI, 
Then there was Neo's world, which we encounter in AI. And he's got a job, and he's got an, a well, what house. You, what, eventually, you find out that there have been various versions of the Matrix, yeah. like you know, version 1.5 and 2.0. One with, one with a first, little bit of very, chaos. Yeah, was the very one first the, one that the robots created was like... It was buggy. It was paradise. And then humans were like, no. Yeah. And then they started... <laughs> Uh, adding like more of a concept of free will or kind of a free will and that the people kind of accept. Yeah. It's one of the most interesting science fiction stories that I think that they ultimately mm -hmm. over explain themselves to the point where it's like, ah, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like at, at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, I can't watch the yeah. second or third matrix. Well, I when can you... watch the first one cause it's a wonderful Kung Fu science fiction movie. The worst, the second and third one, farted all over the first one in my mind I, the first one sat in this crystalline perfection for me i loved it it was star wars it was luke realizing he had the force it was yeah. you know a kung fu film where the guy realizes the powers within him and then the second and third were the midichlorians that explained <laughs> all that's the very good stuff like that comparison shit, yeah. shit all over it so. but i i the, the world that they you know the, the real world of the people in the matrix and the machines is awful. It's like you you're outside and it's yeah. Everything is black. Everything is scorched. Everything is destroyed. The robots don't care because they're robots yeah. and they're whatever humans have to live in tunnels and in bunkers and these giant bunkers. Uh -huh. My, my entire list is all bunkers by the way. <laughs> um, so like they've created this world underneath the earth near the yeah. core that you and kind of in one of the stories, you find out that the robots kind of built for them too, hmm. as part of this facade mm -hmm. of like, eh, keep these people, these people that are rejected out of like the computer system, oh. keep them happy and thinking that they're fighting this war that eventually they're yeah. going to win. Yeah. Um, I realized sitting here talking to you guys about the Matrix, trying to explain to it, uh, you cannot talk about the Matrix in a rational way <laughs> without sounding like an insane QAnon type yeah. person yeah. trying to explain everything. I realize that I'm trying to, you know, I wrote down a few things, but a lot of it's trying to like pull it back from memory of what I've seen. Yeah. And it's like, Oh no, th these are what these psychotic yeah. losers are trying I to I feel like out. I'm in somebody's tent at Burning Man yeah. or something. And I just want to yeah, tell yeah. them, just give me the bag of weed. Dude. I need to go. <laughs> just give me the bag of weed. <laughs> okay, Richard. All right. You mentioned it earlier. Um, the Mad Max oh, series right of yeah. movies. Okay. Um, very specifically, a Fury Road, which is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's just an incredible piece of work from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. But I will talk about I, I will talk about it more as the, the series as a Ooh. whole. Sure. Okay. Um, I think that's cause it's just because I think so many tropes of what we consider to be the modern post-apocalyptic movie mm -hmm. come from the Mad Max series. Especially when you have a resource that becomes the thing that you need. Like yes. When fuel is the driving. I guess in, in Fury Road, it became water or something. It was water, you yeah. Can, they, controlled, you controlled the water. they controlled water, but fuel was still one of those. Yeah. Like in the first three movies, the first, or maybe the second one, mm -hmm. it was like fuel was the, you know. Yeah. There was a currency, the currency. Yeah. 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 Um, that, I think that always makes for a great, because that's something you can actually believe. Right. would happen. You'd be like, oh, what becomes the most valuable thing? It's not these pieces of metal. It's mm -hmm. the stuff that makes things actually work, yeah. Right. And I, that that is part of why I like, like, like the, the road... Ah. It's part of why I like the Mad Max films so much. 
Although we have to agree, Thunderdome is beyond ridiculous. It's a music video. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's entertaining as hell, and I'll, I, I I can throw it on anytime and be like wildly entertained mm-hmm. by it. But it's ridiculous. Um, You're just a raggedy man. What did she say? Something? Yeah. I mean, definitely Tina Turner's finest yeah. starring role. I think we can all agree on yeah. that. Whenever I think of my mom in the mid to late 80s, I think of Tina Turner in that role with that huge hair. My, and she was like, you know, Tina Turner was kind of buff yeah. by that time, too. Because my mom was like a natural bodybuilder. Body yeah. yeah. So like. And my mom would post to like Tina Turner music. Oh, that's so awesome. So I have this this connection of whenever I see Turner, you're Tina simply Turner, the best. Yeah, <laughs> just natural woman. And I just like all I think I see Tina Turner with her big big hair, and I think of my your mom. mom. That's the coolest. Yeah, and I just and I love Fury Road. I love how it turned kind of everything on its head, where Mad Max really becomes sort of a secondary character. In yeah. this, and it just sort of turns the whole gender dynamic on mm-hmm. its head. And, and of course, Charlize Theron is just a badass. What's wild about that movie is that it, the, you know, we talk about like these precious resources and whether it's water, a big aspect of how they control the people in Fury Road is water. And then, but leading up to it, obviously fuel is like this big resource that they hold all things kind of, yeah. um, everything is kind of sacrificed. You know, it is the most valuable thing, fuel. And then in Fury Road, they introduce like these five women, these brides mm-hmm. of uh, Imperios, not Imperios, is the uh, Gunner, I can't no. think of the the she, main the main Immortal guy. Joe, Morton, Immortal, Morton, Immortal, Immortal Joe. Joe. Morton Joe. So Morton Joe's like five beautiful yeah. brides are his, or maybe they're his and his daughters. I mm-hmm. can't remember, but like these are all these are now these things that are the most important thing, the most important resource are these virile you know, women mm-hmm. in kind of a hands handmaid's tale, yeah. sort of, sort of like, Oh, they're his property that he's going after. And he's willing to burn all that fuel. That's the most important thing to get them to back. drive across yeah. just to get them. He sends out all the war boys. Mm-hmm. He sends out all of his trucks. He sends out flamethrower guitar guy to burn. Yeah. Like all these things are just burning fuel to get the things that are actually the most important to him, which is these five women, mm-hmm. which is just the, wild spin yeah on what is important in that world it all comes down to three and i one other thing about this movie about i should go back to to road warrior and it kind of establishes this link i think between post-apocalyptic movies and westerns yeah because Mm. mad max winds up becoming almost like the high plains drifter yeah or you know the man with no name yeah Yeah. the man with no name one of those sort of roles that you could see clint eastwood playing kind of the the grizzled sort mm-hmm. of uh, uh, burned out kind of shell of a guy who who comes into a town, gets involved in some sort of gunfight with the the main bad guy and kills yeah. him, and then wanders off to the or next could, town. Toshiro Mifune could be the same. Yeah, guy. exactly. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. and then and you know the connection between mm-hmm. you know Mifune movies yeah. and, and, and westerns yeah. to begin with, and that's and you see that sort of connection here. I think starting with Road Warrior with these Western movies where it's, it's kind of, I think the, the setup is very similar. Except yeah. the only difference, you know, it's a dusty post-apocalyptic world versus a dusty Old West. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of Clint Eastwood movies, dusty near Italy, somewhere in Italy. Yeah. But... I love it. Feel like, it feels like in, in Fury Road, was there any kind of prologue? Because it seems like in... I don't remember the opening of Mad Max, but I know in... The essentially what was the remake, the Road Warrior, there was still some kind of prologue 
where they talk uh, about where they talk it, about how the the, the politicians planet destroyed, yeah, huh? the planet was destroyed mm-hmm. and and now I feel like it's just kind of like oh yeah we we get it we yeah. get it now they they had some they had some they had they did have a scene that involved a little bit of setup about you know what had happened to mm-hmm. cause the apocalypse it's but really, it was like, like really just briefly mentioned there's a few movies that like that happens I'm they seem to happen in like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies too, where like I think at the beginning of Terminator or Terminator Two they have like this this setup like that that tells you what happened before yeah. the skull gets stomped on by the Terminator foot, uh-huh. or in uh, what was the the Running Man they have like a prologue where they're like it's the year night two thousand eighteen it it's our year <laughs> <laughs> and they go into detail like you know crime is overridden it's like yeah. Just show it. Just we could figure out. We, we could it. figure out that it's not 1986, but you know, close enough. Yeah. Eh, I don't think you need that sort of stuff sometimes. Yeah. Good films don't need don't need a prologue. Uh-huh. They just kind of exp- you kind of can tell. Oh, something bad has happened. This isn't this isn't normal. Yeah. Hey guys, we're at halftime, and we want to beg you, implore you to help us out by helping yourself out by getting a free trial of Audible. Audible trial.com forward slash Rushmore is where you can go for a free, free, free audiobook. That's free uh, if you take the 30-day and sign up for the 30-day trial, but you get to keep the book whether you like Audible and keep Audible or not. You could download and have forever for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Apocalypse, The Days of Elijah, book one, unabridged by Mark Goodwin and Kevin Pierce or 180,000 and more other titles to choose from for any kind of player that you have and can listen to stuff on. The trial runs forever. So if you're listening to this in the future, it's still okay. Uh, Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rushmore and try their service. Also, we would like to suggest other podcasts that you may enjoy just as much, maybe a little bit less than the Rushmore podcast. And here's one of them. Need an escape? Vanish into the depths of a magic forest. Head out on an interstellar repair mission. Travel back in time to change the future. Explore inside someone or something else. Meet dragons, werewolves, birds, bears, aliens, mermen, and a man with a fishbowl for a head. All in 10 minutes or less every week. Tune in to 600 Second Saga for your weekly science fiction and fantasy escape. And... Do us a solid. We'd love to hear from you what you think about this podcast. It could be bad stuff if you wanted to. You could go to iTunes and download, rate, and review our previous episodes. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Let us know what you like about this podcast. Let us know what you love. Let us know what you'd like us to prove upon. And you can also go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to do the same. You can uh, join the conversation. There's a lot of other people talking about the Mount Rushmore podcast. You can leave your suggestion for a future episode topic on the Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. We is back. Okay, Michael, what's your third choice? The Planet of the Apes. Oh, yes! Uh, which, spoiler alert, is Earth, you guys. In case you, in case you haven't seen it. You filthy Damn. apes. Damn, you blew it up. You blew it up. <laughs> you blew it to hell. Uh, the Planet of the Apes is uh, where a couple astronauts fly out into space. Yeah. They go into deep sleep. They wake up. They go through some sort of wormhole or whatever, and they crash land on a planet. They think it's just some random planet out in space, 
And of course, yada, 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 apes. <laughs> apes. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, so, I've, I've seen the musical. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never make a monkey out of me. Uh, yada, yada, apes. And then they discovered that the planet that they're on was Earth the entire time, uh, having Earth. blown up. Did you say Earth? It was Earth the entire Earth. time. Welcome to having Earth. blown up in a nuclear war. And right. it is many millennia in the future where apes somehow have evolved again to um, be the prominent species. And this is, you know, this is so, the end of this movie is so Rod Serling. It is so yeah. Twilight Zony. Yeah. It is so like they've spent 89 minutes building up to the last minute reveal. And you're just yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, but it's wonderful. I think it suffers the same problem that the Matrix films suffer is the sequels over explain yeah. what we just saw. Yeah. Because you learn that the apes some of the apes get off you know they go into this whole thing about how the second movie revolved around like this cult of the atom bomb mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh that's held underground yeah again mm. in a bunker mm-hmm. uh and then you the, the apes some of the apes get off the planet travel back in time to the 70s go on a big shopping spree <laughs> i've never actually seen <laughs> that third movie but all i know from watching it seeing it on like ktla channel five was seeing the scene where the apes go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like the goofy 70s music plays. That's so it's so funny how a good idea. Well, okay, the So show. anyway, so anyway, to get back to get yeah, back sorry. to it. So eventually those apes that went back in time end up being like the progenitors of the apes that eventually take over mm-hmm. and lead to so it's you know, it's all this time loop. Yeah. Whatever. But the original concept of the movie is great and then they kind of go and yeah, mess it. You know, some monkeys start throwing shit around and mess it all yeah. up. Yeah, a screenwriter call it double mumbo jumbo. Mm. Like, it's vampires and a time machine. Like, you come on, just one. Wait a second. We'll take one Wait, mumbo vampire, jumbo. I'm right. I'm writing this down. <laughs> vampires. You don't. You don't have to milk this cow dry. Yeah. You can just let it. Let it be an interesting, fun, uh-huh. great movie with like Chuck Heston doing cool stuff and yelling. Oh yeah. You know, ridiculous prosthetics on the apes, and just like it looks fun. Yeah, and is it seems an extension when you talk about Rod Serling? It is an extension of the fable nature of his work previously, where in his time, the sponsor-driven medium of television did not support people talking about civil rights. So, if you wanted to talk about conflict between two entities. You couldn't say this is about white people versus black people. Mm-hmm. It's white people versus apes. It's white people sure. versus dolls that live in the house. It's an alien. It's the aliens. Yeah. It's this. It's that. You couldn't even talk about communism, really. But you could talk about these other things. So that was, I think, it, the Planet of the Apes series also extended beyond that, where people went from not being able to really talk about it to being able to actually talk about it so that these monkeys in these in these 70s Fonzie jackets seem kind of silly. <laughs> okay, Richard, what do you got? I've got the post-apocalyptic dog. What? Seems like that in... I've got a list here. Is this the George a, Clinton song? A, yeah. <laughs> I can get down with this. I, I know exactly where you're going. Yeah, it seems like in so many of these movies... Oh, yeah. A the, boy and his dog. The grizzled, loan, the, the grizzled loner has only one friend. Well, two friends. Yeah. His shotgun. Yeah. And then a dog. 
You're yeah. thinking of the um, Will Smith. I am. I am Legend, legend. or uh, Road Warrior. Actually, yeah. he's mm-hmm. got a dog for the first yeah, yeah. part of it. Um, and Jeff, you mentioned one very specifically that I was going to hone in. Oh, on. sorry. No, that's okay. No, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. it. Boy and his dog. Boy and his dog. Yeah. Um, if you guys have not seen this, this is a wild fucking yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, came out in the night mid 1970s. Started a young Don Johnson, as like an 18 year old who is wandering the kind of wandering the Southwest after the apocalypse uh, with his telepathic dog. This is four layers into the seven layer yeah. bean dip of like uh, concepts. Okay, and, and all all the all the he was didn't have any family, so he was never raised with any morality. So he basically spends all of his time going around either trying to steal food or rape women. This is the protagonist of the story. Um, It's a wild, wild story. I I don't know how that... I I honestly don't know how it got made. Mm -hmm. A good dog in a post-apocalyptic movie is really the only thing that's saving you from, like, the pack of wild hellhounds, the bad dogs that are also roaming out there. Oh, sure. Your good dog is there that's going to get sacrificed. Yeah, at at some point, the the, the dog will make the hero play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, save you from the, like you said, the pack of mutant hellhounds Mm -hmm. or whatever it happens Mm -hmm. to be. But during the course of the story, what it really serves to do is give the loner hero somebody to talk to. Yeah, yeah. Good exposition machine. Yeah, exactly. Exposition and just so you don't have like two hours of Will Smith foraging for stuff silently. The dogs are also the element that gets them out of their safe zone. Like they have, you know, I'm, you know, right now I'm thinking specifically of I am legend, but like he's got a routine of things that he does. And when the dog, maybe I'm making this up or maybe this doesn't actually happen, but often it's like the dog doesn't, He's going to, about his business, and the dog gets into trouble. Dog's doing dog stuff. Dog's doing dog stuff. Dog's got a dog. And then he's got to go after the dog, which takes him out of the routine. And then that's where all the chaos happens. It's as soon as like you have this element that is so faithful that stops becoming faithful. Not stop becoming faithful. It's just an animal that does animal things. Right. And that you have to change your plan. That's when all hell breaks When the plan loose. stops working. Right, yeah, all hell breaks loose again. Yeah, and also hmm. the dog becomes sort of like well, sort of an agent of chaos to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you know, the dog kind of represents freedom because dog doesn't know it's an apocalypse. Dog's not like depressed. The dog's not depressed about like the fact that civilization is. Mm-hmm. We know the dog just you know you give him something to eat. Yeah. He's a happy dog. Well, he's a sight in the film, at least in the book, because I remember reading the novella first. The dog is an educated tele- empath or sell- telepath. Yeah he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's an empath. And, and he's, he's he's the one kind of telling the kid, listen, you moron. And he can, he can also, he's all psychic because he can tell when other, or, he, or at least he can use his senses to tell when another pack is about to attack them. Right. And this one also is, I think, commentary on suburban America, <laughs> too, or in that. There is horrible misogyny and rape in it, but in the woman that he rapes or young girl he rapes is bait for a really weird twist where Robards is the matriarch of a underground, an underground like, survival community. Right. And they, Topeka because it's yeah. underneath Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> Again, Kansas, Jason yeah. Robards. <laughs> There's a pattern in my uh, choices here. That's funny because I... I'm convinced that people think the apocalypse has already happened in the Midwest anyway. You know, that it's <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's already 
pretty apocalyptic. The only thing that will save us is some some sort of like loose meat sandwich. Yeah. Well, this this is the Don Johnson accepted an award that my university in Lawrence, Kansas gave. It was called the Buddy Award, named after Charles Buddy Rogers, and it was like a you're an alumni, you're coming into our Hall of Fame. It was, it was after Nash Bridges, but I think oh. before Tin Cup, when his feature career had kind of started to revive a little bit. Okay. Um, and he came back, and I think they screened this film and a bunch of other kind of embarrassing things, and he gave us $1,000. <laughs> he gave University of Kansas... A whole whopping $1,000? A whole whopping $1,000. They thought he was going to bequeath a new theater or something. Nope. Nope. He's buying pizza for everyone. Yeah. Hey, uh, pizza. Do you think this was, I feel like this book was part of a series of like pulp, pulpy kind of sci-fi things. Well, that's right in yeah. Harlan Ellison's yeah. kind of wheelhouse yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Um, so that the idea that um, it was probably never meant to be a movie. He's <laughs> probably like, really? You're going to make that piece Yeah, of he trash was apparently well. pretty uh, happy with the movie except for the end, which I want, there's a kind of a kicker uh, sort of uh-huh. uh, punchline almost at the end that. I can't remember that. Yeah. Spoiler alert! Spoiler if you're going to go watch it, don't don't come back for a few yeah. seconds. So the main female character, she tries to make the boy uh, choose between her and the dog. Oh, and then the next thing you see is them eating. Oh, they're eating. Yeah. They're eating, her and then she, and <laughs> the dog says something. A dog says something about like, well, you, you know, you can't say she didn't have good taste. Nice, but um, yeah. Apparently, Harlan Ellison really hated that ending that was mm-hmm. tacked on, but he liked everything else about it. Well, awesome. Okay, uh, Michael, what do you got? Uh, my last choice is the Svalbard Global Seed Vault oh, wow. in nice. Spitsbergen, Norway. Nice. Cool. Uh, these people are planning for some sort of dire future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a scientific program to host as many of the seeds of plants and grains and food mm-hmm. from around the world. As of last year, they have close to a million different subjects of seeds and this thing is set in the ass end of the world it's yeah. up in it's at the as far as north as you can go without like knocking on santa claus this is door. your bunker this is all bunker it's all bunker yeah. stuff okay. everything everything comes comes down to these bunkers these mm-hmm. things that are meant to protect humanity but this is a version of protecting humanity it's project protecting like the force and the trees not just yeah. the people it's yeah. protecting these things that could reboot. potentially reboot the world and regrow it again it has something uh like i said a million different seeds uh and kind of catalogs like ancient different grains from like thirteen thousand years of wow. um agricultural history uh the best part though is the way this thing looks and it looks like something out of yeah like this thing, that's this a, thing in Norway is like the entrance to this seed vault that's located deep in the permafrost. Uh-huh. It looks like something out of like Arrival or something like that. Contact. <laughs> yeah, it's this. It's this huge obelisk that's just like buried. Uh, not obelisk. Um, monolith. Monolith. Yeah. yeah, that's just like buried into the permafrost. Mm-hmm. One thing that they didn't um, account for is the permafrost melting. Oh, which it has started to. Oh God. Uh, permafrost, obviously taken from the word permanent Perma- and frost, <laughs> frost, which is supposed to remain forever. Yeah, it's not tempo frost. But global warming has really kind of started to screw this place up a little bit. They have to kind of take more precautions that they didn't. 
I mean, what what's going to happen when the nuclear bombs start to drop? Uh, is this thing surviving? Who knows? Oh, wow. But I love the idea that there's something out there in the real world that is there to protect not only man, but like kind of the environment that is going to be destroyed as mm-hmm. well. Do they, I think I was listening to a story about that. They actually do like, do they grow anything there? No, so they're they not. Just, okay, they just archive them, hold them all. Onto. Yeah. One of, the, uh, one of the big things that they've done in the last few years was, with all of like the kind of genocide in like Syria, they realize that they're just like destroying things that are, uh, you know, uh, they're destroying things that are special only to that area of the world. And they realize that, Oh, we've got to get stuff out of there and into storage. So once like the madness has died down, it can be replanted. Yeah. So there's like, there are not only like these big long-term post-apocalyptic ideas, but there are like short term, mm-hmm. uh, like, Oh, we've got to do stuff just in case things blow over in the next dozen years. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Ricard, your final. Oh no, I've only got three guys. <laughs> Just kidding. Just oh kidding. my god! Did the did the bomb go off? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! This is the apocalypse. So, yeah, that that would be the the world is ending. Now, my last one, um, I've got Wally. Oh right. Um, the apocalypse that we cause essentially by being fat, lazy gluttons fat. who can't yeah. clean up after ourselves. We did it! Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> um, I love this movie. It uh, if I were to sit down in my Pixar rankings, I would have this higher than I think most people would. It's interesting that this comes up immediately after talking about the seed vault because one of the main concepts is oh this yeah is this piece of plant that grows that they They're that's how they know find. that's how they know that they can come back to Earth uh, right that this piece of vegetation mm-hmm. that it's funny you know as I was just thinking about that um, I saw this photo essay about like this old japanese hotel that was like destroyed oh, I saw that. Yeah. oh no I it was it was like this it was like on some remote island mm-hmm. and it was like a japanese hotel that was abandoned and then you just see the wildlife come in and one of my favorite things is seeing pictures of like things that are man-made that are abandoned and then nature just comes in oh and yeah then within a couple of years they're just like uh you idiots we're taking over without you around we're just gonna mm-hmm. redominate mm-hmm. did you yes. ever watch the life after humans series i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. wasn't didn't kelly uh work on that maybe maybe, maybe. i think she might have yeah, yeah that was put a fun plants one. on everything just like show a building and then put with plants an ivy on lots ivy. of ivy <laughs> for whatever reason yeah, no yeah now that you're now that i think of it i think so the the, the definition seems like that film goes far to define humanity what is what is humanity is it is it feeling then this little mechanical creation that was left behind to clean up our mess has more feeling in humanity than these robotic human life forms who are just floating around this space mall. Right. They are, they are the robots. They are the robots. They're being, yeah. they do what they, to, they do what they're told. Yeah. Essentially by the, you know, the ad voices saying, come here, you know, today you can come and get a, you know, a, your makeup done. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we should do that. And like, yeah. the new color is blue. Blue. So everyone changes their color to blue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, I think you're very right. They are the robots. The robot that is left on Earth is yeah. the one that has humanity and also a connection to Earth mm-hmm. that the people floating around in space for however many decades it's been, mm-hmm. or hundreds of years, I think, at that point. Yeah. 
um, have no connection to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that part of it's always interesting to me because I remember being a kid and people seriously being like, well, you know, by the time that we screw the earth up, we'll be colonizing Mars. So yeah. I remember people saying this, like it yeah. was just a thing that was going to happen. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no. What did you find? I have to say Wally and Up both left me cold after the first the first half hour gutted. Love this character, love this love these love this premise. And then for me it just became a pie fight that didn't I didn't even understand the motivation. I'm I I understand that Wally's looking for love. Right. And connection. But it just seemed like a bunch of a movie made by Legos or something. It just seems huh. like cold and sterile. To Interesting. Me. I to me, I, to me, I get the opposite of that. I think it is a movie about making connections, um, you know, and and humans kind of on their ship. They're not. They're so immersed in their own little bubble, literal bubble, uh-huh. that they are not making connections to anyone. And there's the scene where the power you know, the, I don't know if the power goes out I can't exactly remember but all the bubbles get removed and people suddenly like see that there's other people around them yeah. that they've never noticed before and all these things that they've never seen before so I I don't know I guess it didn't leave me the same way yeah um, okay that is it this is the Mount Rushmore of the post-apocalypse and I'm just going to pick some things here um I think Richard is do- adopting a new strategy of things that I mentioned earlier. He says, oh, that's my pick. Yeah, maybe, it's a good strategy, right? Maybe not. Okay. But <laughs> right? I liked a lot of your choices. So Mad Max is one. Uh, I haven't heard anybody talk about a boy and his dog for a while. So it's super cool. Uh, Wally, I think, is stupid. So I don't want to pick that one. Boom, um, boom roasted. roasted. <laughs> Take that company. I work for, oh, shit. Okay. And... um. Planet of the Apes and the Seed Vault. Those are rad. Seed Vault's cool. Seed Vault. That's a good one. That's what she said. Uh, this has <laughs> is, that, been, is that what is she it, said? Is it? Who, she who, is, who is she? What are the, okay, okay, what the, are the jokes that are going to survive past the, past the apocalypse? Uh, is that what she said? TBOSS. Is it going to be that one where you extend your hand out and then you go, <laughs> Look, as long as there are two people, as long as there's two people on Earth, somebody's going to ask somebody else to pull their finger. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no doubt. Um, smells like up dog. What, what's up? What's dog? up, dog? Not uh, much. What's I'm up with you? Very... What's up, dog? The only dog that has survived the, the, the apocalypse. Dog. That dog. That one. I think that was the dog from uh, <laughs> I Am Legend. The one yeah. that's glowing green and shoots lasers out of his eyes. That dog. He's trying to kill me. <laughs> that's what's up with that guy. <laughs> This has been the Mount Rushmore of the Arababa. My name is Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. 